Well, good morning again to you all. And uh, was anybody surprised that we sang Good, Good Father today on Father's Day at all? I predicted it two weeks ago. I said we we're going to do it. Churches across America, I'm sure they sing the same song. But if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Second Timothy. We are in Second Timothy chapter three. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat. Kind of took from where we are at in our studies in Second Timothy and. Uh, Kind of adapted it and, and apply it to, uh, for us as, for Father's Day as well. And so, Second Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter three, the first five verses we're going to look at today. Paul writes, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. The title of my study this morning is Be Prepared or How to Be a Faithful Father. You can take your pick. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word and to know, Lord God, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. And so we're praying, Lord, as your church, that we would be open to receive all that you have for us today. Father, I thank you for uh, each person that's come here today, Lord. I know that as we open your word, Lord, it's powerful, it's alive, it'll do that work in our hearts that you wish to accomplish we pray, Lord, your blessing upon our time. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that has joined us that has not made that commitment to you. Lord, they're not born again yet. They're, they don't know if their sin is forgiven or not. Lord, we pray that they would see their need for you and they return to you this morning. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We give you the praise and, and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by saying Happy Father's Day to you dads that are out there. Uh, you know, it's, it's always a brave thing to come to church on Father's Day because you know you're going to hear something, you know, about being better dads. But I believe God will honor your steps in the right direction, you know, as you, you, the step in the right direction as you seek to be, you know, a faithful dad, a faithful father. I had a friend from first service come up to me after service and say, thank you. I said, thank you for it. He said, thank you for not sharing a feel-good message this morning. I'm thinking, ooh, uh, um, I mean, it's not my plan. I mean, it's just, you know, just where we're at to be in Scripture. And, and I, I just wanted it to be an encouragement for us. But I think it's something we all need to be here. We all need to hear, rather. I know that there's moms here. I know that there's single people here, maybe folks who don't have a dad, you know. But it's something that God's work can speak to all of our hearts. I know for, for me, my dad went, went, died back when I was three years old. And, and for many of you here, maybe, you know, you're hoping and seeing, praying that your dad, they're gone, that you can see him again in heaven. They were believers. But again, I believe that God has something to say to all of us here this morning. I read a story about a little eight-year-old boy who said, My daddy can do anything. He can climb the highest mountains, swim the deepest oceans. He can fly the fastest airplane. He can do anything. But most of the time, he just carries out the garbage. (laughs) It's great being a dad. But I do remember that day, finally, when it came where I no longer had to go down the diaper aisle in the grocery store. 
Hallelujah. I mean, you know, when you have five kids, you know, it's like every, for, for what, eight years, nine years, you're, you're going down, ten, you're going down that, that diaper aisle. Reminds me of a story about, about a baseball player from the 1950s named Jimmy Pearsall. Played for the Red Sox and the Mets and the, later on went to play for the Angels. He wrote this little piece called A Dad's Guide to, Change, Guide to Changing Diapers. Now in those days, it's not the throwaway diapers that we have today. It was the cloth diapers, okay? And, and so here's this professional baseball player giving dad's instructions on how to change a diaper. The Dad's Guide to Changing Baby Diapers. First, spread the diaper in the position of the diamond when you're at bat. Fold second base down to home plate and set the baby on pitcher's mound. Put first base and third base together. Bring up home plate and pin the three together. Of course, in case of rain, you've got to call the game or start all over again. I love that. I love, absolutely love being a dad. Thirty-one and a half years ago, I became a father to a little girl named Laura Elizabeth, and I remember hearing for the first time those words that came out of her, her mouth, Dada. And I'm pretty sure those were the first words that came out of her mouth. It was like music to my ears, and now she's gone on to make beautiful music and, and to lead worship to the, to the Lord for us. A few years later, you know, I, I heard it again with my little boy, Christopher Thomas, and I, I do think that Mama was the first words out of his mouth, not Dada, but when I heard those words, man, to hear your son say, Dada. I mean, it was amazing. I have a son. Christopher's name means Christ bearer. Now he's serving the Lord, bearing the name of Christ. He serves in the military. Then five years later, heard those words, Dada, once again, from my precious little Annie Victoria. And, and I remember Annie standing on her high chair. She wouldn't just sit in her high chair. She would stand on it and drive us crazy. And say, Dada, 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 Dada. Oh, a big old smile on her face. I, I think, my wife and I think when Annie was born that we entertained an angel unaware. When she was born, she was having trouble breathing. And, and there was a, a gal, a nurse, that just spent 20, 30 minutes suctioning her nose. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, she said that she went to our church and she knew us. We never saw that woman again, never knew where she was, never met her again. But, but you know, um, now Annie's being an angel sent from God to, to serve in the pediatric ward as, as a nurse in Cox Hospital. Then shortly after Annie... Got a curly redheaded named Joseph Benjamin. And uh, by the age of three, he was doing cartwheels in the pavement going down the road. I'm thinking, oh, man, some of you that have been here a long time, you remember that. And, and uh, we used to call him Tigger because he just bounced all over the place. Man. But, man, to hear the words, his dada from his voice, man, it's like hearing them all over again. Oh, my son is, is calling me dada. And now he's home from college just serving the Lord with his whole heart. But little did we know that when we named Joey Joseph, that the name Joseph means one more would be added. <laughs> and shortly after that, the comedian of the family was born, Matthew Taylor. And, and uh, to hear those words from him, da-da, da-da, and da-da, da-da, and over and over again. Again, it was like music to my ears. You know, Matthew, for those of you that know Matthew, he's, he's a friend to absolutely everyone. And this started when he was young. I remember on a Wednesday night after service uh, one evening, we couldn't find him. He's about four years old, and, and he disappeared. We'd look out the door, and he's talking to somebody in a car. The pull-up was about three or four teenagers that pulled up and were just sitting in the parking lot. And he's talking to him. I said, Matthew, what are you doing? He goes, oh, these are my friends. I mean, you don't even know these guys. <laughs> don't do that. But I tell you, Matthew still is a friend to everyone he meets, and he just has that heart. And 
five kids. I am so blessed to be called their dad, and I wouldn't change a thing. And, and apart from my salvation, nothing can be compared to the joy of being a father and to know that all my kids love Jesus. You know, my kids ask me, Dad, what do you want from Father's Day? They, they, know, they don't ask me anymore because they know my answer is going to be, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Oh, Dad, you always say that. What do you really want? There it is. Yeah, I look around in this world and I realize that it's a great challenge for not only children to walk in the truth, but we as parents, we as, as Christians, especially dads, there's no, um, perhaps no failure as widespread and as tragic as the failure of husbands and fathers. Because ignorance and, and apathy and, and rebellion against God's will has set in and have led the abandonment of many husbands uh, of their authority and responsibilities in the home. Millions of homes across our, our great nation, the father is no more than just a paycheck. And a lot of times he's just a supplement to the wife's paycheck, the wife's income. He's got no authority, nor does he want the authority. He fears the responsibility that goes along with it, and he's just convent, you know, uh, content to devote his time to his career, letting his wife you know, run the family and the children fend for themselves, disregarding their emotional and their spiritual needs. But then in other homes, you have a different type of a dad, perhaps who's domineering, demanding, one who abuses his wife and children and sees their existence as, as merely for their own gratification. The whole idea of, of sacrificing for his family is totally foreign to him. He's self-centered, he's egotistical, he's unconcerned about the needs of his family and his responsibility to them. Either way, it's not a pretty picture out there. And I'm convinced that we would not be having half the problems we have in our society today if the male leadership in the home were where it's, it's supposed to be. Godly male leadership in the family is so needed that it can either make or break us as a nation and the church because families are, are the building blocks of our society. We as men, as fathers, are to be the leaders of our families because where there's weak leadership in the family, there's, there's weak leadership, leadership in the church as well. There's a, a weak society. You know, it used to be taken for granted that, that dad was the head of the household. That if you had a problem, everyone knows, just, just go to dad. I mean, it, it, it's the obvious thing. The old TV shows, you know, used to, to lay it out. They're pretty good. You know, Father Knows Best. You know, remember that old one? And, and My Three Sons. These, this is going way back for some of you. Some of you, it's like, well, it was yesterday. But Leave It to Beaver. Even the Brady Bunch always portrayed the kids knowing to come to Dad for the answers. Knowing that Dad would have just the right thing to say at the right time. I found some quotes from, from these TV dads that you might find interesting. Some of them amusing. Remember Jim Anderson? He was the, the father knows best. It, I think he was an insurance agent. You know, you've never seen him really knowing what he did for a living. But he said this uh, concerning honesty. You're honest and expect others to be. That's a good philosophy, but don't always depend upon it. You can tell him, you can see him telling his, his boys. Or leave it to Beaver and Ward Cleaver. Again, I don't know what he did for a living, but he said this. You're never too old to do goofy stuff. Good advice. Rob Petrie, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show on love, he says, what would be love? Well, Rich, let's just say that one little part of love would be that you think more of what's good for the one you love than for yourself. That's just great advice. Andy Taylor, Mayberry RFD, on respect, he said this, when a man carries a gun all the time, the respect he thinks he's getting might actually be fear. So I don't carry a gun because I don't want the people of Mayberry to fear a gun. I'd rather they respect me. How about Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch on dedication? He said, if you're going to do something, you've got to give it all you've got. 
Now, this one was funny. This is Archie Bunker. All in the family on acceptance. He says, I ain't got no respect for no religion where the head guy claims he can't make no mistakes. Like he's, what do you call it? Inflammable. <laughs> Finally, one last one. We'll see how far society has turned away. This one is from Homer J. Simpson. The Simpsons on work ethics. Apparently talking to his son. I want to share something with you. The three sentences that will get you through in life. Number one, cover for me. Number two, oh, good idea, boss. And number three, it was like that when I got here. This article I got these from goes on to say, of course, none of these TV dads could exist without real dads to imitate. So don't forget to thank your flesh and blood papa this Father's Day. After all, he may not be an actor, but he plays your dad in real life. Now, sadly, and obviously we've seen the changes in our society and the downfall from these shows. The shows that are out there today now promote anti-family values. The homosexual lifestyle is being okay. They cry out against the husband and father being the leader in the home and instead promote those alternative lifestyles that, that are seen in our society today. We see the breakdown in marriage and it's affecting our ability to be faithful fathers the moral standard around us has decayed. We've become very promiscuous. We're allowing today what we have never would have allowed some 50 years ago. And the pornography that's out there on the Internet, it's become a very dangerous thing for many fathers. Men are falling prey to it right and left. Marriages are being dissolved because of that. Let me say this before we get into the word, that we have flyers in the back for an app called Covenant Eyes. What that does is it sends all your, your history of where you've been on the internet to an accountability partner, be it your wife or a close friend. I would say pick one up, sign up, even if you don't struggle with pornography. It shows your commitment to purity. It shows your commitment to loving your wife. But I also want to point out that the, the things that we're seeing today, the breakdown in the family, the difficulties that, that we face as fathers, they're not going to decrease. If anything, they're going to increase. Why? Well, because Paul here in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1-5, through 5, gives us a description of what life is going to be like in the last days, just prior to Jesus' return. And Paul is saying, what I want to tell you, Timothy, is you need to be prepared for what life is going to be. It's going to get bad. And then he lays out for us these, these 18 things that we can expect to see in these last days. Now, if, if, if you're taking notes, I want to point out to you three things that we, we're going to face, not just as fathers, but as Christians, men and women living in this world, we're going to see the danger, number one, the deeds, number two, and the deception, number three. First of all, the danger. Look now at verse one of chapter three. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, Paul starts off by saying, know this. In other words, pay attention. Look here. I want you to understand. And then he adds, this, in the last days. Now, the last days is a, it's a technical term. It's used in several places in the New Testament. It speaks of the days immediately following Jesus' resurrection. But more specifically, it speaks of the last days just preceding the Lord Jesus' return. The return of Jesus Christ. So Paul here is describing what we can expect in our society right before the Lord Jesus returns. Then he tells us, in the last days, perilous times will come. I want to underline that word perilous and write next to it the word difficult or troublesome, trying, uneasy, hard, violent, threatening, or dangerous. 
while these characteristics have marked, you know, all time periods of history, to some extent, Paul is saying they're going to be intensified in the last days. And I think it's safe to say, as we look around on our world today, perilous times have come. We're living in dangerous days. What we're seeing all around us is a society on the brink of collapse. I mean, who would have ever thought that at a simple congressional baseball game fundraiser practice, some deranged man would come up and open fire on these leaders of our country? And yet it happened. And the insane things people are doing today, all because of their hatred for our president. And let me say this, these murderous, hateful, vengeful, psychotic acts are on the rise. The threat of terrorist organizations such as ISIS, who thinks it's nothing to blow up concerts where kids are at. It seems like almost every single day we're hearing of some news of some insanity that's taking place somewhere in the world. The Bible says we should expect that. In fact, the Bible teaches in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Mark 13, 7 and 8, Jesus put it this way. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Man, you look at our geographical horizon, it's a virtual cauldron of, of just wanting to boil over. Countries like Iran and Iraq and Syria and Russia and North Korea. Wars and rumors of wars. These are the beginnings of, of perilous times. Not only politically, but, but socially. Our society has taken a turn for the worse. Now let me say this again, uh, regardless of how we may want society to improve, we will continue to see it down, side down this path of destruction. We may be able to stem the tide of, of, of it of, and the advance of sin in isolated pockets, but for the most part, conditions around us will continue to deteriorate until Jesus Christ returns to this world to rule and reign in righteousness and power. And we need to do our best to be that witness for Jesus Christ and to keep our eyes focused on Him during these perilous times. To be prepared as fathers to know what we're going to face as we lead our families during these times. That brings us to our second point, the deeds. And Paul has them listed here, 18 of them. And it's interesting to me that in verse 2, the first one that is mentioned as an evidence to living in the last days, it says, for men will be lovers of themselves. Boy, don't we see that a lot. I mean, all you have to do is get a hold of your teenager's cell phone and look at their pictures. Selfie after selfie after selfie, and they take their pictures of themselves. And, and uh, I, I saw one picture of a, a video of a, of a baseball game, and I guess there's a sorority of girls, and the camera caught them, and they all were taking selfies of themselves at the same time, like the 20 girls with it taken on it. And they take these pictures of themselves, and they post it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and I mean, why do you think Facebook has taken off and, and social media has taken off so much? It's because it's focused on self. You know, I got an Instagram. Look, I'm eating lunch. Look what I'm eating for lunch. Look, I'm getting in my car. Look, I'm getting out of my car. Look, I'm, I'm going to this store. Look, I'm walking here. Oh, I love myself. It's crazy. Now you may say, well, wait a second. I thought that we need to love ourselves. I thought the, the biggest problem in our culture was a lack of self-love. I thought that all of our problems of all of our culture could be traced back to a low self-esteem and a poor self-image. Listen, it's because of our self-love, it's because of our obsession with self that we have the problems we have today. You know, in our entertainment-conscious society, we are really living in an altered state of reality. 
You look at these movies and, and, and we think, oh, that's what life should be like. And it's all a fantasy. The fantasy of this perfect romantic relationship, the perfect lifestyle, the, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect this. It, it, it's non-existent reality that we chase after. And when life doesn't measure up to what I think it should measure up to and to, to my happiness, and I think I must go and search for it someplace else. And I'll bail out on a marriage, and I'll bail out on my kids, and I'll bail out on my husband, or I'll bail out on my wife. Why? Because, well, it's all about me. You know, the catchphrase that we hear today, sadly, is, well, God wants me to be happy, so I'm leaving. You know, the Bible never says that God wants you to be happy. It says that God wants you to be holy. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. Listen, we as Christians must abandon this worldly and destructive type of thinking that if, that if I'm not happy, I'm just going to bail. God has called us as, as His children to, to live to a different standard, a higher level of living, a new way of thinking and behaving. Jesus, in fact, put it this way in Luke 9.23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Folks, this is a, a foundational issue. And we really have a choice in life. We can either live for ourselves or we can live for Jesus. But when love of self is elevated, the love for God and all other things is lowered. But when love for God is elevated, then love for self and other things is lowered. Let me add this, Dad. The best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother, to love your wife. It's to put her first above your own needs and wants to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, kids, they, they love to see mom and dad loving each other, even when they're, they're older. You know, when they're young, they, they see you hug and kiss. Ew, yeah, mom, dad. But they, they need to see that. They need to see the love that you have for us. And I look back, you know, you can look back and, and appreciate the love that you saw from your mother and your father with each other. What a blessing that is to show to your children. But Paul here says that in the last days, it's going to be self-centeredness, selfishness. It's going to reach its peak for men will be lovers of themselves. Listen, God's plan has always been that we worship God, love people, and use things. But sadly, today, we worship ourselves and ignore God and love things and use other people. That's a formula for defeat in life. Now, every one of these characteristics that Paul lists here in 2 Timothy 3, I believe, are really a result of being lovers of self. Because look at the next thing that he says here. He says on the list, they're going to be lovers of money. Lovers of money. Well, you know, in order to love yourself, it takes money. So I need money so I can love myself better. In fact, that in the old King James, if you have an old King James Bible, the word is, is covetous. Now, covetousness, that's a tricky sin. I heard about a Roman Catholic priest who had heard 3,000 confessions over, over, over the years from 3,000 people. He had heard people confess every imaginable sin, from, including murder and adultery, but he said this, he said, I've never heard anyone out of the 3,000 confessions admit that they have been covetous. Listen, covetousness actually made God's big ten, the Ten Commandments. We don't like to think that as a sin, but it is. We may pride ourselves in the fact, well, I don't commit these other sins. Well, I don't, you know, I don't do sexual immorality. I don't do that. And, and, you know, but we may be coveting things because we're living in a culture that's making us more and more discontent. With the things that we have. Man, all you got to do is spend an evening on HGTV. And before you know it, man, your nice three-bedroom, two-bath, you know, track home is, is not good enough for you. i got to have that beach house. 
I got to have Chip and Joanne remodel my house. I got to have the property brothers, man. They can do it. And they can sell me a, or, you know, you know, what flip or flop. You know, I flip this one. You know, I mean, you're just not happy with what, what's out there. Can't tell I watch a few of those shows, but. <laughs> That's not in my notes. That's kind of slipped out. Anyway, I enjoy the shows. But it does make you, you know, want to, i got to have this. i got to have that. Covetousness, Paul says, it's going to be high in the last days. And certainly it's here. Next, Paul says there's going to be a couple things. Boasters and, and proud. And I think those two things go together. And I think we see an increase of, of prideful people boasting of what they have, what they've accomplished. Oh, look what I've got. Look what I've done. Well, that goes back to, again, loving themselves. Setting themselves up as their, their own little gods. Look what I've done. All, you know, and, and the word proud here actually means an overestimate of one's worth. They overestimate what you're really worth. Pride speaks of a person who's arrogant, who's full of themselves. It's a person who would want their will above the will of God and others. Yet we know Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but pride was the very first sin ever committed. Even before Adam and Eve fell there and, they, and ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, that sin was committed. And it was committed by none other than Lucifer himself, a once high-ranking angel who was in the presence of God. The problem was he wanted the top job. He wanted to be God. He wasn't satisfied with just being an angel serving the Lord. In fact, we're, just, we're described how that happened in Isaiah 14, verse 13. It says this, Speaking of the devil, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. You see, he's got an eye problem. Seeing himself as better than God, equal to God. And God says, you know what? I've had enough. You're out of here. And God banished him from the position that he had because, why? Of his pride. That's the first sin. So what does the devil do? He goes down to tempt in the Garden of Eden, Eve. And what does he tempt her with? That forbidden fruit. Now, I don't know why people say it's an apple. It doesn't say it was an apple, you know. We always call it an apple in the Garden. It, it was just a fruit. Personally, I think it was a fig because figs are the best fruit that's ever been created on the, on the face of the earth. But it really doesn't matter what fruit it was because... Maybe it was a fruit we've never even seen before. But more importantly than the fruit is what Satan said about the fruit when he was tempting Eve. He said this. He said, go ahead and eat it, Eve. For the day that you eat of it, you will be as God, knowing good and evil. What was he appealing to? Her pride. Go for it. You're going to be better than everybody else. You'll know more than everybody else. You'll be as God. And she gave in. See, when it comes down to it, pride is probably at the base of the most, most of our problems in our culture today. And pride, sadly enough, is at the heart of even Christians when it comes to, to seeking help and, and, and getting help with their problems. Instead of wanting to talk to a pastor or an elder about an addiction, about maybe a struggle in their marriage or a problem with their kids, we often let our pride get in the way and never seek out godly counsel. Oh, I can't talk to my pastor, then he'll know that I'm struggling in my marriage. I can't talk to my pastor because he know I'm, I'm struggling in pornography. I can't talk to my pastor because because he'll know my kids aren't aren't the angels that you know that they, they you know I, we made them out to be. And and listen, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. 
And as we sit down together in God's Word, we can find solutions to the problems that you're facing because God's Word has the solutions. But it takes humbling yourself and saying, I've got to seek counsel on this. I need some help. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, with me, but it should be with someone who's a mature Christian, someone who knows God's Word, who can share with you what God's Word says. Don't let your pride destroy your marriage. Harm your family. Seek help. Seek the Lord first and then seek godly counsel. Someone once said, swallow your pride. It's not fattening. I like that. Next on the list we have to face as dads, as fathers, as a church, as a society living in the last days, he says there's going to be blasphemers. Boy, we're seeing that today. Outright blasphemy. That word there is the idea is given to defiant and bitter words. These are they who speak evil of God. They speak evil of us as, as Christians, of the work that God's doing. Have you ever thought about the, the rise in using foul language today? It's all over the place. Why is that? Well, because men uh, uh, have lost all respect for God. They, they've lost respect for themselves. They've lost res- respect for fellow men. They think nothing of using their tongues to speak evil against everyone and everything. Now, let me say this for us dads especially. We need to watch our tongues. Watch how we talk to our wives. Watch how we talk to our children. I heard of a father who returned home from work to hear his small son and daughter quarreling. And they were yelling and, and threatening one another. It appeared they were just getting ready to come to blows. And the dad demanded, what's wrong with you kids? Frowns turned to smile when the little boy tilted his chin and said, nothing. We're just playing mom and dad. Man, I hope that dad hung his, his head down in shame. I mean, but you realize just how influential we are to our children. They see us more clearly than anyone out there in the world. So it's imperative that we give a good example because we'll reap what we sow if we don't. Listen, if you're disrespectful to your wife, to your husband, if you're always criticizing and putting down your children, the result is that you're going to have children that they're going to grow up to do the same thing. They're going to be disrespectful to you. And they're going to be, it's what Paul says next in verse 2, disobedient to the parents. That's the next one on the list. Isn't it interesting that, that in the last days that that's one of the signs that there's going to be kids that are be disobedient to their parents? But see, I believe that's, that's definitely a part of our culture is to blame. You look at the, the television programs that are out there. You look at these sitcoms. It seems like, like, like parents are always portrayed as idiots, especially fathers. You know, the old father knows best. We talked about it already. They used to watch, you know, it was great. Father knows best. Now, if they made a show, it's, you know, father's a complete idiot. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not always been this problem in any culture, but I am saying it is something that is worse than it's ever been before, and it starts at a very young age. The problem I see is because instead of disciplining our children for disobedience where they're young, as the Bible has called us to do, we make excuses for them. Oh, they don't really mean that, or they, they just have this, this behavioral disorder, and, and so we need to put them on drugs instead, instead of disciplining them. And as a result, we're reaping the consequences of that. You know, there's an unprecedented and ever-growing rate of teenage suicide that have gotten worse even in this last year. There's a wave of violent crime being committed primarily by young people today. So I believe if children were taught at a young age to honor their mother and their father as the Bible commands them to, then we wouldn't be in the place we're in today with this generation being disobedient to parents. Well, Paul lays out three more. He lays out unthankful, unholy, and unloving. Unthankful, 
We see that today. There's no longer a sense of gratitude for the things that they have. Now it's an entitlement mentality. We've talked about that recently. Yet for the Christian, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I might add, dads, again, husbands, it wouldn't be a bad idea to remember to thank your wife for all she does every now and then. The little thank goes, thanks goes a long way. Unholy there, that word means profane. The state of the heart where man loses all regard for decency and shame. Again, watch any sitcom on TV. Don't watch it. Just know that it's, it's there. It's, it's, it's horrible. Unloving. Now, I don't like it as much, this word unloving, in the, in the New King James Version. I like the, the Old King James Version. It's a better translation. It's without natural affection. I think that describes it a little bit better. It describes really the total breakdown of the family, what we're seeing today. There's a loss of love where there ought to, where, where ought to be love to those that we love the most. There's that abandonment, abuse, abortion, infidelity, homosexuality. All natural loves will be lost in the desire to fill the basis of the most perverted of human lustful passions. It's without natural affection. Then he goes on. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Unforgiving. It's an unwillingness to forgive having or making no allowance for error or weakness. Someone messes up, they blow it, and they say, would you forgive me? Nope, can't do it. We'll forgive you. Listen, Jesus gave this warning in Mark eleven twenty six. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That word slander there means to utter slander against someone to defame. Without self-control, there means the, uh, the uh, ability uh, to discipline one's life. You don't, have, you don't have any discipline in your life. Whatever you want to do, you do, you know, and, and if it feels good, do it. Why should I deny myself the pleasures of life? Finally, it says, brutal, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Not a fun list. Brutal there means fierce, untamed, savage people. People are controlled by their, their natural instincts, almost an animalistic in, instinct. What you're seeing in our society, men living like wild animals despisers of good. I mean, what do we see today? Men calling evil good and good evil. Traitors. That word there means people who betray others and break friendships just to get their way. They'll lie. They'll cheat. They're still just to get ahead. Headstrong there means reckless, rash, acting without reasonable thought. This is a lifestyle that does as it pleases without regard for its consequences. The word haughty there is high-minded. That's kind of the same as pride. You're, you're, you're puffed up with a sense of, of your own self-importance. And finally says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, again, just look around. It's all over the place. The, the pleasure-mad society. Get this. Last year, Americans spent $17 billion on video games. $17 billion. They spent over $11 billion just in going to the movies. I think I spent half of that. No, I don't Because <laughs> it costs so much money to go to the movies. But man, these are 18 things that we all face today in which we live. These are the last days. Now that brings us to our final point, the deception. Look at verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So Paul is saying that the population, those living in the last days, will be characterized by wickedness and evil, but... But there'll be a religious people. Are we not seeing that today? They have a 
form of godliness, Paul says. That word form means a semblance. In other words, they, they claim to be good and decent people, even people that go to church. The bottom line, the world will be filled with people who are religious but lost. There'll be an increase in powerless, Christless religion, religion that cannot save, religion that cannot change, and religion that cannot satisfy. Only Jesus can do that work. And whether we see it or not, we are in these days right now. So what does Paul say to do about it? Look at verse 5. And from such people turn away. Whoa. Whoa. In other words, watch the company you're hanging out with. See, there comes a time when because of sin and wickedness and the people around us, we must cut the ties. We must be apart from that evil. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, and they're always pulling you down and pulling you down, maybe it's time to turn away from them. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save them. I'm going to pull them up. Listen, if they're pulling you down, it's not, I've, I've used this for my kids. If you're walking on a curb and you're up on top and your friend's down below, what's easier, for them to pull you down or for you to pull them up? For them to pull you down. Be careful who you're hanging out with. That the word turn here in verse 5 means to shun and to avoid. It's hard to think about, but it's biblical. And if we refuse, then we, we forfeit the power and the presence of God in our lives. And we, we fail as fathers. And we won't be prepared when the hard times get even worse. Now let me say, this is not a very uplifting Father's Day study, I admit. But I think it's so important that we hear these things if we want to be godly fathers. We need to be prepared. We need to know what we're facing and do whatever we can to live life pleasing to the Lord. Man, you are responsible to take the leadership in your homes. Spiritual leadership in the family is a responsibility that probably more fathers abandon more than anything else. And it's because dads are they're unsure and, and insecure and, and taking their place as a spiritual leader in their home. But if you resign and give it over to your wife, you know, it's, it's not what God has planned. You're, re, you're neglecting your responsibilities. And I believe that's what lies at the heart of why there's so much failure in our family today. It's certainly an area that's attacked more than anything others because it involves the most time and labor and concern as we spend time with our children, teaching them God's Word and praying with them and reading to them. Dad, if you're going to fulfill your role as a spiritual leader of your, your family, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require that you spend time alone with the Lord yourself in prayer. That you have a devotional life between you and the Lord. That way you can pass it on to your family. Your personal, your personal walk with the Lord is more important to your family than anyone else's because God uses you as a spiritual leader to deal with your family. As it's been said, as a father goes, so goes the family. I like Joshua. Joshua, Joshua spoke up for his family when he said this in Joshua twenty four fifteen. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just taking a stand. As for me and my house, I don't care what the rest of the world is doing, we are going to serve the Lord. I think of the Philippian jailer there in Acts chapter 16, verse 34, whose whole family was saved because of his faith. But then on the other hand, I think of many fathers in the Bible who saw their families corrupted or destroyed because of their carelessness in their spiritual lives. Noah, 
Lot, Eli, David are all examples of men who failed in their personal spiritual lives and saw their families bear that fruit of their failures. See, it's a sobering thing to realize our responsibility to our families is that huge. We're responsible for their spiritual health. We're responsible uh, for the individuals in our families. That's our responsibility as, as a leader, as a father. Sadly to say, but a lot of dads don't even know where their kids are at spiritually. Listen, if you're going to fulfill your complete responsibility to your family, you're going to have to be able to communicate effectively with them spiritual matters. That, spends, that means spending time with them. You know, you used to say, well, we spend quality time together, not quantity. You know what? Forget that. You need quality, I mean, quantity time with them. You need to spend time with them. Oh, yeah, we had two minutes of quality time. Listen, give them about an hour of quality or quantity time. Listen, leadership is an awesome responsibility. It's not something that just happens on its own. It takes hard work. There's no room for laziness in the business. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, certainly Paul was talking about the material provision of the family, but I think it's also the spiritual protection and provision for his family. But you're beginning to get the idea the father's duties, they're, they're sacrificial. Listen, it's something that, that we, we should not ask nothing in return. We need to give and yield and sacrifice, and that takes time. You know, it's, it's hard work to, to ensure there's harmony in the home. It's not an easy job, and, and it must be done with wisdom and, and seeking the Lord. To work hard for our families, to, 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 to you know, meet our goals. We must be sympathetic and patient and, and reasonable and diplomatic and, and clear, clearly see where, where the Lord is leading us for direction. But above everything, the Christian father must be that example. He must represent what he expects his children to become. And you go, man, I'm overwhelmed, Tom. That's it. I, I'm, I can't do those things. It's overwhelming. Listen. Jesus said, or actually the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You can do it. Because God will give you his power, his Holy Spirit, his word to, to accomplish great things as a father, a godly father and, a, and a, a godly husband. But let me tell you this. It takes first and foremost a personal relationship with God himself. See, you need to have that relationship with God as your father, first and foremost. And if you don't have that relationship with God, then your life is going to be a mess. You're still in your sin. You're still going to die in your sins. If you were to die today, you would not go into the presence of the Lord. You would go to a place called hell, eternally separated from the Lord. But God loves you so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross, to take the place of us who deserve to be in the cross. He died. He paid the penalty for our sin. So by, by us committing our life to Him, asking forgiveness for our sins, we have access to our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father, who wants to give us all the, the spiritual blessings that are, that are just waiting to be poured out upon our lives. But you've got to come to Him first and give your life to Him. If that's your desire this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for just the the power that's in your word. And I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to give their life to you, Lord, we recognize we're living in the last days. Things are going to get worse. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the forgiveness of our sin. We recognize we all fall short of your glory. Lord, your word says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that wants to give their life to you this morning, to surrender their hearts, that they would do so now. 
While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? Would you just raise your hand for me? This is just between you and the Lord. Recognizing your need for a Savior, your need for your sin to be forgiven. I want to give you that opportunity. Anybody at all? Just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to ask all the dads just to stand up this morning. This is what we do for Mother's Day. We do it for Father's Day. Guys, as your dad stand up, I want to pray special prayer, blessing upon us as dads. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, God, it's so great that we as men, as fathers in our own home, can call you our father, Lord, because we know we have access to where we need help. And Lord, we need help. We need help as dads to be that, that godly man, that the, the godly husband and father that you've called us to be, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one of us here this morning, Lord, as we stand up, Lord, to receive all that you have for us today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we're not left on this earth to try and live this, this godly life as a father and as a, as a husband as, without any power, Lord, but your, your Holy Spirit is given to us for this purpose. Lord, help us to love our wives as, as you love the church. Lord, to be sacrificial for her, Lord, to, to look of her needs above our own, Lord. Father, help us to love our children, to not provoke them to wrath, Lord, but train them up in the, in the admonition of you, Lord God. And Father, we pray that you would use us to glorify yourself in our lives and through our lives. We pray for our families, Lord. We pray for our children, Lord, that they would grow up loving you and knowing you, Lord God. We pray for our children that perhaps have walked away from you, Lord. We pray that they would return as a prodigal son return, Lord. We pray that our children would turn back to you, Lord God. And Father, we pray for our dads that are out there, many that maybe not know you, Lord. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their eyes to be opened to see their need for you. And Father, we pray finally for those that, for those that the dads have gone home to be with you, Lord. They're no longer here. We pray for the comfort and the peace, Lord, that only you can give to be their father, Lord, in the time of need. Lord, I know in my own life you have been my good, good father. Lord, not having a dad, you've been there for everything that I've ever needed, Lord, my whole life. And I thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.